Good morning, guys. Good to see you all. And uh, beautiful morning. Should have done it out on the grass out there. It'd be nice. Uh, nice sunny morning. Well, so it was for a bit there. Um, hey, um, I'm excited about this topic, uh, biblical worth, work ethic, and um, talk a little bit about that. Um, sort of to kick off the discussion, I was down in Southern Oregon after church on Sunday, after the fourth service, I zipped down with my wife, Deb, and we went to visit my parents because we hadn't been down there for quite a while and didn't see them over the, you know, the Christmas, Thanksgiving holiday season. So we just zipped down and spent a Monday and Tuesday, uh, Sunday, Monday, and then Tuesday morning we came back home. But uh, it was great to hang with them. But I, I busted out my uh, iPhone and uh, rolled a little vidi with just me and my dad and thought it'd be fun. I'd share with you guys just a little of our conversation. I told him what I was going to be talking about here this, this uh, Saturday morning. So we kind of kicked around some thoughts, but I thought you might enjoy it. Here we go. Let's roll it. Tell me, you know, this is um, this is your latest uh, scooter. You've had this one for a little while, I think, because you you like it a lot, right? This is one of my favorites. Does, does this get up to 55 miles per hour? You know, I, I've had it up to 65 is the limit here. I sometimes surprise myself because as I've matured in age, I find myself not pursuing its limits as much as I used to. <laughs> but the other day, I had an occasion where the enthusiasm made me push it a little more than I was normally used to, and I'd forgotten how, like, this thing will go up to uh, 14,800 RPMs, and I very rarely get there, but when I did, I, I found, I, the thing power wheelied for at least a quarter of a mile, changing through the gears, and, and I have to admit, it brought back memories of it that felt so good. And you, do, you, do you change it? If you're going to use race fuel, do you have to... Every once in a while, I like to blow out the webs and, yeah. and remember what it was built to do. Yeah. And the race fuel allows you to do that. But, but frankly, this, this bike will easily go over 200 miles an hour. There's no nicer sound. It mine. screams, yeah. yeah. And it's, it's so much fun. And I still enjoy it a lot. I drive it a lot around here. Well, that's cool. Let's uh, let's go inside. I've got a few things I want to ask you about, and uh, we can talk further. Yeah. Right. Okay. You want to take it for? A it's tempting. Uh, when you first started your you know work as a, I remember you were a superintendent at a particularly young age. When were you first a superintendent in a in a building situation? I there's kind of two phases to my construction. One was my earliest phases was residential, working for my dad, and then working for framers and then running framing work. But the, later on, then it evolved, and I went to work for Peter Kiewit oh, yeah. Company in Bridges and Dams, and I became a foreman on the job, uh, and then a general foreman running um, metal slip forms on the spillway and water filtration plant, and then later the Castaic Dam. But as I was doing that, they'd make me a general foreman. And then uh, at the Highway 1 bridge at Chetco, they made me a superintendent on, on that job. What, would, what are some observations you have about the work ethic in, in men and, and um, what, is, what has changed and, and where do you see things going these days? Um, when, when I started out in work, a guy was expected to show up and, and work. And we weren't overly concerned even about the pay or what the hours were. We just find out who is a boss and do what he tells us to do. And that's what my dad taught me to do. Like when I showed up on the job, you could... You could take your position on the job site by how hard you worked. If you worked hard, you would 
come up the ladder quick because there was competition. The uh, the excitement of it has been changed to some to a large degree, I think, which made it more interesting. But I think that can be augmented by again aspiring to do well and to every job is is competition if you're in the right frame set. I think if you're there just to pick up a paycheck, the same is true then as it is now. You'll be gone pretty soon probably. When I go on jobs nowadays and prior to retirement a few years ago, I would see a total lack of competition. In fact, just the opposite. The competition was to see who could slack more <laughs> than, than the next guy. Not always true, and it was really encouraging when you would see someone who was uh, trying to represent himself well and to be the last one laid off and yeah. to be respected and yeah. to to gain the position of authority, which would be the natural consequence of, of hustling and doing what the boss tells you to do. There's uh, fewer and fewer guys that will do that. And if you talk to any contractor, generally speaking, I think you'll find they, they're blessed when they get someone who wants to work and is willing to work and willing to learn and wants to help make your job easier. Yeah. Most of the guys think, well, how can I make my job easy? That right away, you're, you're off on the wrong foot. What, uh, what do you see as a difference between, say, like a workaholic versus a guy that's just a good, hard-working man? Oh, I, I, I can tell you about this because I've long been considered a workaholic. People who didn't know me yeah. would say, well, Todd's a workaholic. But I learned a long time ago, and my dad taught me, Todd, if not you, who? Who is going to put food on your table? How are you going to come up the ladder? It's because you're going to work, again, find out who your boss is and make him happy, and then do what you can to make the best of things. It's why I had three paper routes, because I wanted to have um, a motorcycle at 14, because I had a purpose and reason for doing it. I knew that if not me, who? And it was, it was even before I was a Christian that, that I had that work ethic, because I just realized that I didn't want to be... Uh, owing anything to anyone. It just it was a principle there that God taught me a long time ago in that regard. Later, after becoming a Christian, it all started making sense to me yeah. why God wants us to be in this position so we can actually be a help rather than a hindrance to the community, mm -hmm. to our families, yeah. and to society in general. Um, what would you say to guys that are Christian men who are um, wanting to um, sort of understand what God really expects of them, and, and do you think the Bible addresses this topic at all? Uh, what, what's your thought about oh, that? <laughs> yeah, big time. I, to me, that was later in my life. Of course, later I became a Christian. I think I was about 22 or 3 or 4, somewhere in, in that age category. Still a young guy. But it, finally realizing that hole that was in my heart was filled, and I could see such a hugely more broad purpose than just saving up money for a Triumph Cub. Yeah. It had to do with so many other things. It had to do with guys coming in the job shack and the brakes and pointing them, sometimes very subtly, to Jesus Christ and to being an example, showing work ethic, but then also showing them where the enthusiasm in my heart was coming from to have the advantage to um, know that the Lord was really into me working hard and being a good example and providing for my family and recognizing that 
all good things actually did come from God. While I work hard, I finally realized it wasn't commensurate to that. It didn't mean that I had to work hard to make it happen. It's just that I really needed to be close to the Lord and be attuned to what He had for me any given day. Some days it would be more about the more about the guy that I was uh, throwing in she bolts on a 400 foot uh, pure uh, pour than it did to do with the concrete itself. It had to do with the men more often than not. How did you balance hard work and then also being that that light in a kind of a dark place? You know, it, it was really easy actually because it didn't require that much of me and my perception of things. It was just it was just being sensitive to to you know being in the Word. It set the stage for how I was to be any given day. Not that I was always that way every day, but generally speaking, uh, recognizing that. The work ethic was important, and the Lord would always provide time to uh, to share the good news with guys. But the Lord showed me at that time that it's not for me necessarily to dictate when those times are, but to be sensitive to it. All that's to say is it's a day-by-day -day walk, just being with the Lord, and you'll know what to do. I think if you start fabricating and doing it without the Lord, you'll get into trouble. But if you're working hard, and that is your focus, the Lord will show you, oh, no, Todd, you get to take a break now. Pray for the, you know, that guy there is, you can tell he's troubled. Pray for him. And so you can still be tying these she bolts or putting these snap ties in, or but you can pray for him. Wasn't there some crane operator or some guy that was kind of, he kind of helped you when you were early as a Christian. He was the Christian that kind of helped you when you were younger. Is that right? What was oh. his name and what was his deal? Didn't he kind of look out for you as a young superintendent? Yeah, Bob or? Thornton. I, he was such a wonderful guy. He was operating a, a ringer crane. It was a, a Manitowoc 5300. It it had a 350 foot boom. It was on tracks that were as big as this room we're sitting, I and mean, bigger than this room. And the tracks were Jeez. five or six feet wide and 30 feet long. When when he was moving down the road, the ground would shake for a hundred <laughs> feet. Literally, you'd hear Bob coming, and the ground would be shaking, and this big boom would be up there. Going, and he, pretty much everyone, whether you wanted to or not. We'd have to stop and pay homage to this array that's going down down the road. And he would he would have this whistle that he would use to communicate to us all the toot 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 it meant something, toot toot meant something else, toot, 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 meant something. And he would be going down the road just having fun, toot toot, and he would point you, you know, the Lord's coming someday, you better be ready. <laughs> and he had a, a, a huge voice that actually you could overhear beyond I mean it was very, very oh he Bob was a, a sight to behold. When at lunchtime, he would always quote a Bible verse, show me something, share with me something. Uh, he was an awesome guy. Yeah, you gotta love those guys. Mm -hmm. They're encouraging to mm -hmm. the other brothers, you know, that you work with. All right. Well, there it is. We had a good visit with them, uh, seeing my mom and dad down there in Southern Oregon. Uh, yeah, that. Uh, <laughs> I thought I'd let you see his bike. It, it's it's really kind of an amazing thing. That bike was in, um, let's see, what was the magazine? It was uh, several years ago. I think it was, uh, I can't remember, Motorcycle USA magazine. And they did a shootout, and they used actually that, that bike with a, Yosh it's got a Yoshimura engine. You bike guys know that's, it's not the Stalker Gixxer uh, motor. It's, it's a Yoshimura motor from Japan that just rips. And uh, it's kind of funny to know my dad's out there. My mom, she says, I'll go over and say, hey, mom, where's dad? Oh, he's out for a putt. 
that's what they call it, a putt, you know, uh, which that bike does not putt. Uh, it doesn't do that. <laughs> but it is a fun, fun bike to ride. I've never had it over 55. Uh, 55 saves lives, right? <clears throat> <laughs> No, uh, anyways, uh, it, was, it was fun to chat. You know, uh, we, we really want to uh, kind of take a look this morning at, at um, work ethic as a, as a Bible-believing Christian man. I, I, I'm always amazed to watch culture swing back and forth. And um, usually if, if the church or if people are on a bandwagon, I'm looking for the way off, <laughs> off of the bandwagon. Because usually bandwagons are just that, There's, they come and go. And, um, and uh, you know, there's some interesting mindsets out there about work and what work will be and what it'll do. And, and, and watching uh, what people have said will, will happen in the future. I remember in the 80s when computers were really starting to become, you know, personal computing, you know, uh, they, they said You're, the, the average man will work only three days a week because computers will do all the work for us, you know, and, and we'll just have leisure time and stuff like that. And that didn't really work out, did it? Uh, <laughs> everybody's busier today. The, the, the reason that is, is, you know, the computer did help with a lot of cool stuff, but everybody's got them. So everybody's racing and still competing. And uh, it's just a funny thing how we just kind of keep getting busier. And uh, But at the same time, uh, maybe the, the, that, that was a bandwagon, how to, you know, not have to work so much and and then there was an era where you see people just going nuts and working, work, 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 work. It's all about getting ahead. But then you see a new generation kind of coming in. And, and one of the things now is, is um, it's about, more about fulfilling your dreams. Um, we need to be dreamers and fulfill your dreams. Forget work. Uh, work is only a, a sideline vehicle that hopefully gets you where you fulfill your dreams. And, and that's another bandwagon I'm seeing right now. Uh, and, and so you have a lot of dreamers that aren't really working, but they're saying, hey, I'm going to live out my dreams. And... And then you're going to say, well, who's going to pay for it? And you say, Mexico. No, I mean, uh, sorry, uh, who's, going to, who's going to pay for those dreams? Uh, we have to kind of wonder, you know. And, um, and so the questions that I would always ask, you know, in, in my mind is, um, well, um, was Jesus a dreamer? Um, did Jesus want to fulfill his dreams? Uh, was that part of his plan and purpose? Uh, that's always the best thing, you know, is to, is to look to the scripture, look to Jesus Christ, and uh, to be the man of God, to be the guy that's following the word, um, you kind of have to look to the scriptures. There's actually a ton of scriptures uh, about that deals with, with work uh, and work ethic and what have you. But um, here, let me throw a couple questions at you. Uh, um, is, can work ever be a bad thing, yes or no? Yes. Um, is work, uh, uh, is work uh, was, it, was it meant to be a curse? There's a big mix there, isn't it? About 50-50 is what I heard there. Uh, yes or no? Is work a curse? That's, that's something we'll talk about here. Um, and um, and uh, let me ask you this. Uh, does, does, work, uh, uh, does work glorify God? Yeah, yeah, it can. Uh, uh, but work can also uh, not represent God very well, right? Depends on the situation. Let's, let's kind of explore some of that stuff. Now, the first question I'm going to raise is work a good thing or a bad thing? Um, and it depends on who you are. Like if you're, if you're you know, working at a Clorox bleach factory screwing lids on as they go by, um, and is that work a good thing or a bad thing? Well, you know, it's good in that maybe it's putting food on the table for the guy that's doing that work bad because that's not really the funnest job in the whole world. Does anybody remember the, the movie uh, Music Box? 
uh, from the 70s and 80s, you Christians that have been around for a while. There was a Christian movie. It was actually better than most of the Christian movies you'll see out there. But, uh, but, um, but this guy had the job, and he, you know, it was like in New Jersey, and he'd come to work every day, and that was his job. It was kind of a joke. But, but it, you know, some of you might say, man, work's a bad thing because I hate what I do. Um, but at the same time, what do you think about that? Well, it depends on, on the perspective. First of all, let's go to that question, um, uh, is work a curse, the curse of man? Um, the answer is no, work is not a curse. Well, Brett, it is. Uh, it was the fall of man, sin. God said, by the sweat of the brow, you're going to work, and that's the curse of man. And, and thankfully, we don't have the one where pain and childbirth, that's for a whole other group of people. Uh, I'll take the work, by the way, uh, every single time. Uh, that, that, I'll take that curse. But, um, but uh, no, why don't you grab your Bible, turn to Genesis, if you would, chapter 2. And sometimes you kind of need to go to the beginning. And before the fall of man, we have in Genesis chapter 2, verse 1, a kind of an interesting little tidbit uh, where we see the first uh, man who's working. It says in Genesis 2, verse 1, Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the host of them. And on the seventh day, God ended his work, uh, which he had, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work, which he had made. So the first thing we see here is um, that, uh, that God works, that that's something. And so you can say, well, that answers a couple questions. Work is good because God is good. And God did some serious work there. And, uh, and, and on the seventh day, he rested. Now, fast forward to uh, verse 15. And there it says, And the Lord God took the man and put him into the Garden of Eden to dress it and to keep it. Um, uh, I think the newer translation says that he put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and to keep it. Is that NIV? Something like that. To work it. And ESV says to work it and keep it. So, so God gave Adam the assignment to work and keep the Garden of Eden. And that was before the fall that's coming in the next chapter. Um, and so what was that all about? Well, was he cursed before the, the sin? No, because work, um, I, I believe in its original intent, God meant it to be a blessing. It was part of what the man got to do with his life. Um, he wouldn't just sit around twiddling his thumbs in the garden, but he had work to do to dress and tend the Garden of Eden. Um, but it would be later, in fact, turn forward to chapter 3, when uh, Adam and Eve had sinned and did their thing. And, uh, and then um, it says in verse 17, and unto Adam, uh, this is chapter 3, verse 17, unto Adam said uh, he, uh, because thou hast hearkened unto the voice of thy wife, which is eaten of the tree of uh, which I commanded thee, saying, Thou shalt not eat of it. Cursed is the ground for thy sake. In sorrow shalt thou eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles shall it bring forth to thee, and thou shalt eat the herb of the field. In the sweat of thy face shalt thou eat bread till thou return to the ground. In other words, till you die. Um, you're going to have sweat of your brow. So it seems that the curse wasn't as much work itself, but it was that the work would be perhaps more difficult. Now you got thorns and other things to deal with, and by the sweat of your brow, it would, it would make that the blessing of work maybe turn out to be a little bit of a, a harder thing than we originally bargained for. Um, and so the reason I think that's interesting is because many of you guys are blessed in your work. You find a certain joy in it. Um, you find a certain satisfaction from it. Um, but but um, it's on those bad days when everything's going wrong 
<laughs> when everybody at work hates you, uh, when stuff turns out not the way you really hoped it would, and uh, that's the thorns of the ground, that's the sweat of your brow. It's kind of part of the curse there, I think. It's not as much the work itself, but it's, it's that there would be much difficulty and toil uh, that is associated also with work. Now, sometimes we throw the baby out with the bathwater. I hate work because we think it's all about the thorns. And I think that that's what we have to be careful to make sure and uh, teach our young, our young men in our church and our young boys that there's real fulfillment in work. There's real joy and blessing and, and uh, there's something about a good day's work. I think in ministry, um, it's a little tricky because uh, having worked with my dad when I was a little kid, that, that uh, picture of me there, I don't know if you noticed, but the, the big twin arch bridge that was a picture before, that was the same bridge uh, uh, that I'm sitting there on that uh, big cat. Uh, I was actually operating that cat. It wasn't me just sitting there for a photo. I was, I was actually at five, five years old. I was, I was uh, uh, moving dirt with that thing. Um, and uh, and it was, it was, uh, I was sitting there at that same bridge. But I remember at the end of a day working with my dad, you'd see what you did with the work of your hands and there was great satisfaction for that. In ministry, it's a little tricky sometimes. I, I do miss the days at the end of the day looking at a, a wall that my dad and I framed up or you know something that we had built or, or whatever. And at the end of ministry, like, what have I done? Uh, I've just been yakking all day. You know, I mean, my, my job is yakking and meeting with people at restaurants and not as much exercise that I, as much as I need to do. And uh, it's just kind of like, man, what have I done today? Um, so, you know, there's blessings in ministry, but I do sometimes envy some of you guys at the end of the day because this is what I've done. Look, look at what I've accomplished. Um, that's kind of a cool thing. But um, we have to teach our, our, our young men that, um, man, there's, there is blessing in work. And a good hard day of work actually makes you feel like you've actually done something of, of value. And I believe it's because that's what God originally intended for man, even before the fall in the garden. So um, is work a good thing or a bad thing? I'd say work is a good thing, uh, mostly. Uh, and, uh, and you say, well, Brett, it is. It's just the, the, the bad part. Well, it actually goes deeper than that. Um, so God worked, uh, and also Jesus worked. Um, now, the first level of that thought of Jesus working, you think of Jesus as a carpenter, right? He was a carpenter. Um, and by the way, there's some interesting studies about the word, the Greek word used there for carpenter. It can be like a wood carpenter like you're picturing, but it's a word that's also associated with stone cutting. He was a stone cutter. Well, that's an interesting possibility. If you're interested, study that word that's used when it describes Jesus and Joseph and their job that they did. Um, some uh, real Greek scholars say uh, he wasn't a carpenter as much as we would call him a stone cutter. And that's interesting because there in that region of uh, Nazareth and Capernaum and places where Jesus hung out when he was young, um, it, was these, uh, it was the place where they made this, the... Um, the, you know, the stones for the, um, I'm drawing a blank here, you know, the millstone, basically, for flour. And it was like a big donut. They, they made, there was a, co a cone stone that was like a cone, and then they put this donut over the cone, a big, big stone, and then they would uh, put, like, poles in the donut, like, of the wheel, so that people could walk around. And they'd pour the grain uh, on the top of the cone where the donut was, and then they'd start grinding. And that would just grind it into a fine powder and it would fall through the bottom and catch in the bottom part of the stone. And, uh, you know, when they, when they unearthed archaeologically uh, Capernaum, they found, you know, hundreds and hundreds of these millstones. And they thought, well, they either had a lot of corn 
or this was a millstone factory. Um, and uh, so it's kind of an interesting thought. Jesus, no doubt, was a craftsman uh, and worked with his hands. Uh, whether it was with wood or stone, that's, that's up for debate. Uh, but Jesus worked. That's level one. But what's interesting about Jesus is uh, Jesus was one who worked um, uh, not just um, for the stone thing, but the other work, even in the ministry. This is kind of a cool thing for a guy like me, because when I was a little kid, I worked more like, you know, in a, in a, uh, with a craft with my dad and building. But then I moved more into ministry, which Jesus did that. So it kind of gives me some good um, things to go on. What does work look like in ministry? Would you turn to John chapter 5 with me real quick? Because um, I'm convinced Jesus was a hard worker because he did everything perfect. How would you like to have Jesus on the job site with you? (laughs) In uh, John chapter 5, Jesus talks a lot about what his ministry was. But he uses the word work a lot uh, here, which is kind of important as it comes to work ethic. Um, And this starts to answer the question, was Jesus a dreamer? Like a lot of our young people, man, I just want to do this and I want to travel the world and I want to live out my dreams. But I I, I worry about that mentality for a couple reasons. Uh, But first, let's look at Jesus. It says here um, in John chapter 5, verse 17, it says, but Jesus answered them, my father worketh hitherto and I work. Of course, then the Jews freaked out because Jesus made himself equal with God by calling God his father. Then verse 19, Jesus answered and said unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, the Son can do nothing of himself, but what he seeth the Father do. For whatsoever things he doeth, these also doeth the Son likewise. So there's this Son in submission to the Father. Jesus submitted to God the Father. Look ahead there at verse 30. Jesus said, I can of mine own self do nothing. As I hear, I judge, and my judgments is just because I seek not mine own will, but the will of the Father which has sent me. Look at verse 36. But I have greater witness than that of John for the works which the Father hath given me to do, or to finish, the same works that I do. Bear witness of me that the Father hath sent me. Um, and um, on and on, you know, Jesus would, would speak that here in other places that, man, I only do the will of the Father. I only do the work of the Father. Um, Jesus was not living out his dreams. He was submitted to the will of the Father. And that's kind of an important thing. I see a current culture where we as men have tended to move in the, um, and let me just be really frank, in a real self-centered mode. It's all about me and my happiness and my finding my dreams and living out my, you know, passion. Uh, what do you have a passion for? Now, don't get me wrong. Usually on the bandwagon, there's some truth to it. I found that to be true on almost all the bandwagons that come and go in culture. There's usually a tidbit of truth. And I, I like to cling to those truth, um, those bits of truth. But we don't want to swallow hook, line, and sinker those, those things because not all of it's right. So on this area of living out your dreams, um, uh, sometimes work does not include your dreams. And you guys have found that to be true. Most of you guys hopefully have found that, yeah, you're gonna, you may have some dreams fulfilled, uh, and that's great. But when you're a, a guy living for the purpose of fulfilling the will of the Father as Jesus modeled for us, 
when you're living saying, I just want to do whatever God tells me to do. And if that means I'm, you know, cleaning toilets for the rest of my life. Um, it's, it's usually the American culture because we have so many opportunities and options um, that we get all excited about dreams and stuff like that. But most of the other countries around the world, they really don't have opportunity like we do. Um, it, it's an interesting thing this week. I'm not going to get into this, but, uh, you know, Trump talked about Haiti and Africa, and he's in real trouble uh, with the media because he said, a, a, you know, a very foul, vulgar term, and he shouldn't have done that, and that nobody's arguing that. But what did he mean? That's the big question that I think people should ask. Uh, what, what did Trump mean? And, you know, most people are saying he's a racist and all this stuff. But, um, but it's interesting because um, I've been to a lot of the countries that he actually talked about there. And, um, and it's interesting to me because the people that I know and love, good friends of mine, really believe that um, their countries are not a great place to be. Um, and and uh, I remember driving down the street of Ouagadougou, Burkina Faso, the, the lowest caloric intake of any people on the earth. Uh, Burkina Faso is in the Guinness Book of World Records of the, as the most starving country in the world. Um, and, um, and it's hot and it's barren and it's desert. But there's a million people in Ouagadougou. And, um, you know, it, it, as an American to go in there and say, pull yourself up by your bootstraps, work hard and live out your dreams. Like that's so Looney Tune, they would laugh you off the street. Uh, to say that to uh, people in Burkina Faso. Why? Well, what, what, what dreams would you have and wh where would you go and what do you do? Um, and so I kind of thought, man, I wish we could come over and really help the men of Burkina Faso. I remember meeting with one of the pastors, a pastor by the name of Marcel. Some of you may have met Marcel. He was here a few years back. Really great brother. And we were just driving down the street talking and, and he said something that would have been totally politically incorrect for American to say. You know, there's certain things we can't say that other people can. Well, here's a guy from Burkina Faso who cares about his country, loves his people, and works really hard. Marcel's one of the hardest working guys I know. But um, we were talking about um, this topic and he said, Brett, you, you Americans don't understand something about this, this our people. And, uh, and this was a shocker for me to hear him say this. He said, if you took Americans and put them in Burkina Faso and you put the people of Burkina Faso in America, he said in 10 years, America would look like Burkina Faso and uh, Burkina Faso would look like America. And I thought, wow. Like, I didn't even want to say anything because that's so politically incorrect. Like, what do you say to that? Um, but he, he mentioned that it has to do with uh, um, an, an ethic of work. Um, that uh, a lot of times countries like his, he said, they just don't have. So it's interesting, you know, uh, depending on what Trump meant by that, um, basically, uh, you know, a lot of these countries would say, yeah, we wish we had more Americans coming and inspiring us to do the kind of work Americans have done historically. <laughs> now, what's interesting, <clears throat> um, the, the culture in America has changed a lot because um, a lot of guys in America won't dig a ditch anymore. We, we, we don't want to be the guy to dig the ditch. Uh, that's what immigrant workers, that's the American mindset. They'll do the hard work uh, while American, you know, uh, people who've been here for a long time, white American people, will live out our dreams. <laughs> like there's this really kind of interesting dynamic as America changes. Who's doing the hard work today? And um, is, it, is it good for us as, as uh, you know, American men to forsake the idea of digging ditches? and do an old school kind of hard work. 
And, um, and boy, I, I don't want to get way off on this. I could go on and on. Um, if you read, you know, the old book we used to use as a book of history in schools called The Decline and Fall of the Roman Empire. Um, one of the problems was when um, nobody was willing to do the work, uh, except for the slaves. That's what you do. You'd get your slaves to do all the hard work. And pretty much everybody else would sit around, and they had a lot of idle time, and they were, for lack of a better term, living out their dreams the Roman baths and all the luxury of Rome and they sat there and ate and gorged themselves till they vomited and all this stuff. This is the Roman Empire. And you can see cultures coming and going in this area where at one point they were a hardworking nation uh, and eventually they became a thing where everybody else was doing the work and eventually the whole thing kind of falls apart. So it's an interesting thing when you look at the Bible and you realize the Bible outside of time um, I believe the Bible gives us the prescription of what to do and, and maybe things to watch out for. And Jesus, I love how Jesus said, I'm just going to do the work of the Father. Whatever the Father wants me to do, I'm going to do that. I'm going to work hard. And Jesus was, was, was not a lazy guy, but he was always busy doing the work. And, you know, even whether we're talking the, the, the carpenter or stonecutter part or if he was ministering, remember the multitudes would press in and follow him around, but Jesus was up, up for the task and was always ministering and doing the work. <clears throat> so, so the idea of good hard work is biblical and us being willing to do work, even uh, if Jesus was willing to you know, cut on stone or you know, hew wood or whatever, uh, that's, that's, that's something we should realize that that was, that was what Jesus was willing to do. So work I would say this, work is a divine institution. It predates the fall of man. Um, and it was meant originally, I think, to be a blessing to mankind, to have something to keep ourselves busy, to do uh, what God wants us to do. So the Lord took man, put him in the garden of Eden to work it and keep it. So, so it's another indication, by the way, that I think God will place you and me where we are, just like he placed Adam in the garden I wonder if the Lord really placed you where you are right now in your work. You know, well, I shouldn't be here. I should have another job. And my boss, he's a you know, loser, and I should have his job. But it's an interesting thing when a man actually says, I'm just where God wants me to be, learning to just really be content. Now, I'm not arguing not for pushing forward or trying to grow and, and, and move up the ladder, as my dad was talking about in the video. Um, but, um, but to also, you know, be willing to say, you know what, this is where God has me right now. And um, to humble ourselves and say, okay, this is, this is it. And, um, and um, Adam was, was told to do that, to toil in the garden and do the work in the, in the best sense of the word. Um, now, another way before we leave this, this topic uh, of, you know, is work a good thing or a bad thing? Um, it, work can become a bad thing when we fail to take a day of rest. I need to throw this in here on the issue of work ethic. Um, work can become bad if you're a guy who's saying, I'm a hard worker and I just don't take a day off. Well, it's interesting because God took a day off. Uh, question, why did God take a day of rest? Was he pooped? Did God just say, man, whew, those first six days, I'm just tuckered out. Um, the answer is, was God tuckered out? No, no, because uh, he's omnipotent, uh, all-powerful. Like, like he lacks nothing for power. And so um, why did God take a rest? I, I believe that he did it as an example for us. He said, this is what I want you to do. And, and I believe that he, on any level, the way you look at it, biologically, our bodies are designed to work uh, six days on the seventh day. I think we should rest. I think that's the way God invented us. 
He made us that way. And uh, I know guys that think they can get ahead by not taking that day off. And some people even pride themselves. I haven't had a day off for 10 years. Uh, yeah, we can tell. Uh, you, need to, you need to take a day off, buddy. Um, you know, it's like um, one of the things that uh, the Bible spends a lot of time talking about, what does it look like to enter into rest? And Jesus himself uh, saw the need to get away and rest. And, and so um, we've seen that. There's other things, by the way, where work can become bad. Um, do, do any of you guys know guys that do, they do a lot of work just to stay away from their families? Yeah. There's guys that'll be on the job and they're there just working, burning the candle, and it looks so um, impressive because they're such hard workers, but really they're just avoiding their wife. Um, you know who did that in history? I think it was, was it John Wesley that his wife dragged him around the house by his hair? <laughs> and she was just this mean lady. So, you know, it's funny because when you look at Wesley, he does all these sermons, like great sermons, and, he, and, and you realize, wow, how in his lifetime did he get all those sermons in? He, he never was home. He was always, pre he'd, he'd preach like four sermons a day at different locations, seriously, and, and uh, was prolific because of that. Um, that's when work is not a good thing, when you're doing it just to get away from your family and avoid that responsibility. Um, another way work can become a, a negative is if you're doing it just for riches and greed. Um, if, that, if that's why you're working hard is just to become wealthy and greedy, that's, that's a, a problem too. Um, there's nothing wrong with wanting to grow your wealth uh, and be financially uh, strong. There's nothing wrong with that. But there's, a, there's a, a line somewhere that starts to become more greed and less um, uh, integrity. Um, and then another thing when work can become bad, I'm just giving you some quickies here, is when um, you think it's your only duty and responsibility as a man. Um, there are guys that think that they've checked their man box because they, they've worked eight hours a day, uh, five days a week. And what that looks like, it, it looks really ugly. It's the guy that, that works and then comes home at the end of an eight-hour day, puts his feet up on the lazy boy and tells his wife, when's dinner ready? You know, I've done a hard work today and you, you need to have dinner. And, and like, like he won't take out the trash and he won't wrestle with the kids and he won't do family devotions and he won't do anything else because he's put in a hard day of work. Like that, like that was the end of his work day. Um, work can become bad when you think that's all that you have to do. Um, that's an important thing. I know guys um, that, here's the most painful one, and I, I see this from time to time. When a guy um, makes his wife go to work, um, and it's okay if a, if a wife wants to go to work and all that stuff, um, but, but when, the guy, when the wife's saying, man, I would love to just be a stay-at-home mom, and he says, nope, you need to go to work, but then he still has that attitude, like he put in the eight hours so he can come home and rest. But the wife who also put in the eight hours, she still has to do the dishes and make dinner and take care of the kids. Like I've seen some really ugly behavior by men. Uh, and I wish I could say it was not that common. But sadly, the thing I just said there, that actually happens way more than it should. Um, if you wonder what a stay-at-home mom's day is like, just, just try it for a day. Uh, you, you guys, if you haven't done this for a while, if you, especially if you have little, little children, man, give your wife the day off one of these days. It's like, man, just go hang out with some friends, go shopping, do whatever, and I'll take care of the kids. You will be so happy to go to work where you can rest again. Uh, man, digging a ditch is easier um, than, than watching kids uh, at home all day. Like, that, that's a hard, 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 hard job. Um, th there's, a, there's a thing where your work becomes bad when you think that's your only duty as a man. Does that make sense? 
I hope that's, that's something that kind of helps us. So um, work is a good thing, uh, ordained by God, an institution of God, but we, in our sinful nature, we can make work a bad thing by those kinds of things. Um, and, and the sin of man made work harder, if you would, by the fall of man. Uh, another thing you got to start to uh, realize when it comes to this idea of work, um, who do we work for? Who's your boss? Well, um, Jesus said it best with, with those scriptures in John 5, but you also know some of the other scriptures, Colossians 3, 23 and 24. Well, actually, actually go, go, there, go to there with me, Colossians chapter 3. Uh, let's back up to verse 22. Um, and this is stuff many of you guys have memorized, the, these verses, because these are good verses as it relates to the work that we do. Colossians 3. And, and you got to get through the King James uh, a little bit because, um, you know, servants and masters, that's something we don't really use that language anymore. But if you could picture employee and employer kind of uh, idea. It's Colossians chapter 3, um, verse 22 is where we'll begin. Servants or employees, obey in all things your masters or your boss, according to the flesh, not with eye service as men pleasers, but in singleness of heart, fearing God, and whatsoever you do, do it heartily as to the Lord and not unto men, knowing that of the Lord you shall receive the reward of the inheritance for you serve the Lord Christ. But he that doeth wrong shall receive for the wrong which he hath done, and there is no respect of persons. Here, Paul the Apostle talking to the church at Colossae, he's saying, um, be a good servant, be a good employee, and do what your, your boss tells you to do. Um, and and um, there's some interesting uh, words here. Uh, you might note the word eye service. That's an interesting, uh, interesting Greek word. In fact, it's one of the longest Greek words. I'm not even going to try to pronounce it. Uh, it's, it's a long Greek word that, that means this, one who wants to look good only when the master is around. <laughs> Do you guys know people like that at work? Uh, they're sitting around doing nothing, and as soon as the, you know, the department lead or the boss walks in the room. I remember working on job sites when my dad was the, the superintendent, um, or the foreman, uh, I remember I'd be working with a bunch of the guys and they'd be lollygagging around. And, and all, but, but then you could hear my dad coming because he had the nail bags that had a certain sound. You could tell they were my dad's nail bags. And when he'd be coming, everybody, oh, you know, getting back up to the hanging sheetrock or whatever. And, uh, and my dad knew a lot of those guys that they were loafing. Um, but uh, you can tell when a guy sort of was living to get away with as much slacking as possible. Um, that's what this word eye service actually means. Um, so when it says servants obey in all things, your masters according to the flesh, not with eye service, just kind of just so people see that you're working, but you're not really doing it. Or men pleasers, um, but, but uh, in singleness of heart, fearing God. In other words, when we work, um, our single heart should be, Lord, I, wanna, I want to serve you in the work that I'm doing. This is the key of, of a good Christian biblical work ethic. This is the biggest key I can give you this morning is you work for God. You're on a mission from God, like the Blues Brothers movie uh, said, only for real this time. Um, how does that work out for you? In your job, think with me, the job that you have, how does that work out for you? 
how is it that you are actually working for God? That's the question you have to kind of nail down. Lord, how can I serve you better at this job that I'm at right now? And, um, you know, it takes a little creativity sometimes, but I think one of the things that you read here is you're not just doing work while the boss is looking and then slacking on the... In other words, to be a good, hard worker, to be the hardest working guy in the room, not just for man pleaser, not just for this eye service concept, but um, whatever God has placed you in, that's a holy vocation, not just a job. We work for God and not just for an employer. Um, and what, what's interesting is, is um, the reward of that. Um, sometimes we, <clears throat> we do our jobs and the reward is the paycheck. But God in his word says to the working biblical Christian man, it's not just about the paycheck, but for the guy that's faithful in his job, there's an, an inheritance of a reward for you serve the Lord Christ. That's how he ends the discussion in verse 24. There's an inheritance for the hardworking guy. See, here's the thing that people, I think, forget. And, you know, we, we tend to think more temporal. Man, my job is just a job. And, you know, it's, and uh, so I'm earning a paycheck. And I know the Bible wants me to provide for my own house and put food on the table. Um, but we kind of leave it there from the biblical perspective. But God says, no, if you're faithful at the vocation, the job that you have as a man, there's an inheritance you don't even know about that has to do with eternity. If you're the guy that's not slacking when the boss isn't looking and you're working hard, even if nobody even notices, even if people take advantage of you, some of you know what this feels like. You're the one who's doing all the work, but you get zero credit and the rest of the guys sort of ride on your coattails. And, and I've seen it where, uh, and I've been in, in situations where the guy that was the slacker got all the credit. Meanwhile, other guys who were behind the scenes getting the real work done, they didn't, nobody even knew they were doing it. That's not fair. But good news, as a Christian man in the workplace, God's keeping a good record and he, he sees the whole thing. And somehow, someway, in eternal glory, God's going to give you an inheritance. What is that inheritance? I have no idea. But I believe it's going to be at the Bema Seat Judgment of Christ. That is the, some people call it the Judgment Seat of Christ, the Bema Seat um, but it's where God will uh, judge us according to the works that we have done. And we tend to equate that with our missionary work or teaching Sunday school or, you know, ministry type things. And that's true too. But I'm convinced that um, the work that you do at Intel or on the job site or in that financial institution or whatever job you have, that how you do at that work, there's gonna be an internal inheritance for you. And, and see, what's really cool about that you might be the CEO of a billion dollar company. We have a couple guys in the church that are like that, that I know. I'm sure there's, there's probably more than I know. Um, or you might be the guy that um, is scrubbing toilets uh, in, a, in, a, in a building. And, and here's the thing, I have a hunch that right now we see this great discrepancy because your paycheck's a little less than the CEO's probably. Just a small little difference or huge. Um, but I have a hunch that those are going to be somehow kind of reversed in, in heaven. The inheritance that God talks about. See, this is why the, the idea of us um, as Americans not willing to do the menial tasks or to get a job on the lower scale and not earn as much money. Well, Brett, I can't have, I can't have my house and my cars and my boat. And my, if I get that job, I won't. And there's a lot of guys that I've noticed, especially young men, that aren't willing to do the grunt jobs because they don't see how it's going to buy them what they want right now. 
The old school guys, like my dad, they realize you go get the, the minimum wage job and you, you really work your rear off and somebody will notice and they'll start to move you up. And then as you're working hard, you move up the ladder. Now, whether that happens today in the same way, it's probably not the same. But, but here's the thing I want to tell you is um, something about the way it works. God honors the man that's willing just to do the job, even if it's not paying as well. Um, there's a lot of guys wandering around thinking, man, I don't, have a, I don't have a job because they're not willing to step back and kind of take the harder job. Um, I bump into that quite a bit. The good news is if you do that job faithfully, um, it's amazing how the Lord kind of works that out. These are the kind of things biblically I think we need to be teaching our sons and our grandsons um, that, man, be willing. Like, like I almost, you know, would want to encourage uh, our young men just to, on purpose, get a minimum wage job. I almost wish that everybody had to work a minimum wage job for a while just to kind of see what that feels like. Um, because um, I think we, we've become so entitled. And there's something about a, a man who's willing to do the work and, and, and really work hard. Uh, my dad was telling me one of the things that we took out of the interview is he, um, he, he was in heavy construction for a long time. And it's so funny because he then became a building official, which is a crack up because I remember seeing him on the job site, you know, he would always be arguing with the building officials. Uh, and, uh, you know, and, and uh, you know, they'd, they'd be there, you know, and, um, and, and he would work with them. But um, when he got a little older, he ended up working uh, as a building official and, and, and even started to be one of the guys that wrote some of the building codes here in the state of Oregon. And, um, but he'd go to job sites and he would tell me how, how you'd see, you know, a group of, of guys and there, there'd be the, um, the guys working really hard, getting it done. And then there'd, there'd be the guys over here that were just slacking and not getting anything done. And, uh, and it's, and it's an interesting thing how, um, you know, you, you don't have to look too far to see which group works harder and, and the discrepancy of people who are willing to do the work. Um, so whatever, whatever it is that we're doing, I think that, uh, you know, um, we do it heartily, as it says here. Whatsoever you do, do it heartily. Man, whatever you do, minimum wage or otherwise, do it heartily as unto the Lord and not unto men. That's, that's the key. I want you to always be as biblical working men to say, I work for God. I work for the Lord, and um, that's why I'm going to work hard. It's not as much because my boss is a great guy or because I'm living out my dreams or I love my you know, work. It's because, Lord, I want to serve you, and I want to serve you well. Um, there is a, a concept biblically about being faithful in the small things, and the Lord will honor that and give you uh, more responsibility later, and that's another part of this whole thing. So who do we work for? We work for the Lord. So work's a good thing. And when you're working for the Lord, it keeps you in the right perspective. Um, next question to sort of think through with this, what are we really doing when we work? Um, when you work for the Lord, it sort of brings it on a different plane. Um, some of you guys say, I'm building an apartment complex or I'm working on software um, that will do this, that, or the other. Or, you know, I'm driving a truck um, but, but I wonder if we looked a little further and this, this is where, you know, this whole idea of dreamers and all this stuff, I think you can find some good in that is to actually see the greater good of what you're doing. You're not just building an apartment complex. 
You're not just making software. You're not just driving a truck. What is it that God has you there to do? What are we really doing? I love the story of a, a guy who was riding uh, years, you know, hundreds of years ago um, when they were building St. Paul's Cathedral in London. And, uh, or was it St. Peter's? I forget. Um, but uh, th- there was a bunch of workers working and the guy was just going around interviewing guys. And, so what is your job here? What are you doing? And they'd look at, you know, and I'm... I'm Pouring concrete. Uh, okay, and he write it all down. He went to different guys. What are, what are you doing? And I'm, I'm chiseling out this rock. Um, but he found this one guy with a wheelbarrow whistling a happy tune, you know, um, moving rocks. And, and the guy, he said, well, what are you doing? He says, I'm building a beautiful cathedral. <laughs> and I thought, that, that's it. That, that's, that's the thing. He sees the bigger picture, this guy who's building the cathedral. And, um, you know, uh, one of the things about you know, what we do and why we do it. Um, when you realize you work for God and you're giving glory to God, it really gives great purpose in the grander scheme. You're not just writing software, but um, man, the Lord is, is, is got you in that place with all those people to do even a greater work, even if it is to excel at what you do. I think there's nothing better than a Christian man who's the best at what he does. That, that's the best testimony out there. Better than words, you know. Uh, there's that old saying, Christians should be seen and not heard. There's nothing better to me than a guy that just can outwork everybody else. And not to be haughty or, you know, prideful, but just, just to see a guy that's skillful in what he does. And man, and then seeing how the Lord uses that and gives glory and honor in that. Um, does anybody ever read H.A. Ironside, any of you guys? Uh, Ironside, you know, is, is uh, I love some of the stuff that he talks about, but he... Um, he was writing about, you know, Colossians 3.17, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And, you know, he knows that verse in the context. It's about work with your boss and your master. But um, let me read you a little story here uh, about uh, what he wrote. He said, when I was a boy, H. Aaron, so I said, I felt it was both duty and privilege to help my widowed mother to make ends meet by finding employment during my vacation time. There's a guy who's taking his vacation to work. On Saturdays and other times when I didn't have to be in school, I would go uh, and work for the Scottish shoemaker or cobbler, as he liked to be called. Um, His name was um, uh, uh, Dan McKay, uh, the Scottish cobbler. He was um, a forthright Christian, and his little shop was a real testimony for Christ in the neighborhood. The walls were literally covered with Bible texts and pictures, generally taken from uh, uh, old-fashioned scripture sheet almanacs, that looked uh, where one would, you could find scripture staring you in the face. Anywhere in the, you know, John 3.16, John 5.24, Romans 10.9, and many more. On the little counter in front of the bench on which the owner of the shop sat was a Bible, generally open, a pile of gospel tracts. No package went out of his shop with, without a printed message wrapped inside. And whenever opportunity offered, the customers were spoken to kindly and tactfully about the importance of being a born-again a Christian and the blessedness of knowing that the soul is saved through faith in Christ. Many came back and asked for more literature or to inquire more particularly as to how they might find peace with God. With the blessed results that the men and women, they would come in and be saved frequently right there in the shoe shop. It was my chief responsibility to pound leather for the shoes, um, for the shoe soles. A piece of cowhide would be cut to suit, then soaked in water, and I had a flat piece of iron over my knees, and with a flat-headed hammer, I pounded these soles until they were hard and dry. It seemed like an endless operation to me, and it wearied me at many times. 
What made my task worse was the fact that a block away, there was another shop that I passed by coming to or from my work and my home. And in it sat a jolly, godless cobbler who gathered the boys of the neighborhood about him and uh, uh, regaled them with lewd tales that made him dreaded by respectable parents as a menace to the community. Yet somehow he seemed to thrive and perhaps even to a greater extent than my employer. Um, um, uh, as I looked in his cobbler window, this is the down the street, I often noticed that he never pounded the soles at all. But he would take the, the leather from the water and then nail them on, damp as they were, and with water splashing from them as he drove each nail in. One day I ventured inside, something had been, uh, I'd been warned never to do, to go into that cobbler's house, or, you know, store. Timidly I said, I notice you put the soles on while they're still wet. Are they um, just as good if they were dry uh, or before they were pounded? He gave me a wicked leer as he answered, they come back all the quicker this way, my boy. Feeling I had learned something, I related the instance to my boss and suggested I was perhaps wasting my time in drying out the leather so carefully. Mr. McKay stopped his work, opened his Bible to the passage that reads, whatsoever you do, do all to the glory of God. Harry, he said, I do not cobble shoes for the four bits and six bits or 50 cents or 75 cents that I get from my customers. I am doing this for the glory of God. I expect to see every shoe I've ever repaired in a big pile at the judgment seat of Christ. And I do not want the Lord to say to me in that day, Dan, this was a poor job. You did not do your best here. I want, to be able to, I want him to be able to say, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Then he went on to explain that just as some men are called to preach, so he was called to fix shoes. And that only as he did this, well, uh, that would be his testimony and account for God. It was a lesson I have never been able to forget, often when I have been tempted to be careless and to slipshod effort. I have thought of dear, devoted Dan McKay as it stirred me to seek and do all to the Lord, him who died to redeem me. Um, I love that. Uh, from 1945, Harry Ironside. Um, you know, that's what you gotta do. Picture at the judgment seat of Christ the pile of work that you've done, the, the, you know, the plans you've drawn, um, you know, the engineering you've done, the software. Software is a tough one because it's, it's a little bit like ministry. What have you done at the end of the day? <laughs> it's nothing. Uh, by the way, I love software uh, because it, it, uh, there's, a, there's actually a great spiritual illustration. You guys that write software, because software doesn't need matter. Like software is kind of like the thought that goes from your brain through whatever, to get to become information. And boy, we can talk about creation and DNA and the information that's in the genetic codes and, and, and software and stuff. Like there's some really cool things about that. But, but what, did, what, what do you do at the end of the day? Uh, what, what have you worked? And you see just a string of code. But, um, but you know, what's cool is, is uh, how well you do at the work you do. I think somehow God's gonna count that. Um, so that, that's the question that I want you to think about this in your life is what are you really doing? What are you really doing? Um, and be honest with yourself. No, I'm really just collecting a paycheck. Or no, I really, really want to have a good construction company and build houses so I can make lots of money. Or what is, ask yourself what you're really doing. And, and I think you have to realize you're working for your boss who's God. And what is the eternal value and what, what, what is your purpose? Uh, once you realize what you're really doing, I think it'll help you do what you do better. Um, okay, number, what are we on, number four? 
Um, what, what if we neglect our duty? Um, what if we're not doing what we're supposed to do in the area of work? Well, this is where it gets a little scary. Um, and that is the Bible has a lot to say about the guy who's not willing to work. Um, what's one of the repercussions of a guy who doesn't work? Anybody in the Bible? You don't eat. If you don't work, you don't eat. Now, here's the problem. Our social programs, welfare and other uh, programs, we've made it so a guy doesn't have to work and he still can eat. And I'm not sure that's serving us very well. It's, it's interesting because um, right now, unemployment is at the lowest it's been in decades. Like, we're, we're really kind of in this economic boom right now. It's kind of amazing to see really uh, how good economically we're doing. And, and um, there's, there's jobs to be had, but there's a lot of jobs that they just can't find people to, to fill the job. Nobody wants to work. And the incentive is lacking in a lot of people who are unemployed because, you know, they've got unemployment, they've got programs, and, and uh, some people can almost live better off of the social aid that we give them rather than just a, a good, hardworking job. So we have problems with that. But uh, it's 2 Thessalonians, you can jot it down in your notes, 2 Thessalonians 3, verses 10 through 15. For even when we were with you, Paul says, this we commanded you, that if any would not work, uh, neither should he eat. For we hear that there are some which walk among you disobedient uh, or disorderly, not working at all, but are busybodies. Uh, now them that are such, we command and exhort by our Lord Jesus Christ that with quietness they work, and they eat their own bread. But you, brethren, be not weary in well-doing. For if any man um, obey not our word by this epistle, note that man and have no company with him, that he may be ashamed. Yet count him not as an enemy, but admonish him as a brother. Interesting how um, here when Paul says, but brethren, be not weary in well-doing. That's a scripture we often quote all the time. And, and have you ever noticed how we always quote it in context of missions or serving Jesus? Man, don't be weary in well-doing. That's, that's, that, you can apply it to that too. But the context here is actually, don't be weary in well-doing at your job, in your vocation. Keep it up, man. Don't, don't be slacking on the job. That's the context of be not weary in well-doing here in Second Thessalonians 3. And, um, and he says, if a guy doesn't work, he doesn't eat. Um, and then, but they walk around being like busybodies. Uh, you know, the, uh, that is kind of like gossiping or talking. So they're talking, but they're not walking. Uh, they're talking the talk, but not walking the walk. Um, so what do you do with a brother like that? Well, in the church today, as we become more about, you know, man, we just need to be loving. And I call that sloppy agape. Um, agape is real, and we should love one another, but sometimes love needs to be kind of brutal. Um, so, you know, you dads know with your sons, sometimes your sons, they have to, there has to be a, a strength and a tough love for them to learn um, the right way. You can't just be all about sloppy agape. In the area of the guy that's not really willing to work, now, don't get me wrong, there's, there's all kinds of circumstances we could talk about. Um, you know, like real legitimate medical issues or injury. I mean, there's all kinds of things we can legitimately talk about. I'm talking about the guy that, you know, has every excuse of why he shouldn't work, but he really should work and find a job. And there's a lot of those guys, frankly. And, uh, and, and, and it's hard sometimes to discern, does this guy have a legitimate reason why he's not working? Or is he just talking um, because he doesn't really want to work? What do you do with the guy that's, that's just lazy and he doesn't want to work? This scripture, you can't deny it, 
it says, if that man doesn't do what I'm telling you to work, then it says, you should have nothing to do with that guy. See, that's where the church, we've just said, no, we need to love the poor guy. And man, the church will throw money at, you know, and, and, and at AC Creek, we've helped a lot of families and a lot of people. Um, sometimes we've, we've realized, wow, it was really great that we were able to help that family. The guy was down on his luck, got let go, the company closed. Like those are the people we love helping uh, benevolently as a church. We come alongside a lot of families, hundreds of families we help at AC Creek. And from time to time, you're really rewarded and thinking, man, what a cool thing that the church can help. There's other times where you kind of start to realize this guy has no intention of ever getting a job. And um, there's actually professional people that their job is to call churches and ask for money. Um, it's funny because as churches locally here, we kind of started to realize we need to call each other and let, us, let each other know when people have just been calling down the phone book and getting quite an income. Some of these people are making more than what you guys make uh, by just calling churches and saying, I'm a little down on my luck for the last 20 years, and, and I've been calling, going from town to town, church to church, and getting $1,000 here, $1,000 there, and churches and Christians tend to be big-hearted, which is good, but watch out for sloppy agape, or we're just helping a guy, uh, you know, I remember at Applegate years ago, I remember um, sharing this scripture because there was this guy and he had kind of this beady eye and he probably smoked a little too much weed and he kind of the scraggly look and he came in, uh, you know, this family. And, and um, at first I was a little, little felt kind of sorry for him. I thought, well, we'll, we'll try to help him. And, um, but the guy seemed very healthy um, and uh, able. And I was like, man, um, so, because they were asking for uh, money. And uh, I was the pastor on duty that day in the office. So I, I was just kind of talking with this guy. Well, the conversation quickly went from, um, so why aren't you willing to get a job to I'm a prophet of the Lord, I'm an apostle of God, and I travel around giving words of the Lord to people. And um, I said, yeah, but um, that's great, but which I don't really believe that, but, um, but why don't you get a job and do that at the same time? Oh, no, uh, I, I'm not supposed to work. God has shown me that I'm not supposed to work. I said, um, well, then we really don't have anything for you here. And... and um, and then he quoted the scripture about, you know, us sending people off saying, be warmed and be filled, but not really caring uh, for the person who's hurting. And he quoted the scripture and he, you know, was shaking the dust off his feet and the whole thing. And I said, yeah, that's a nice scripture. But it also says if a man's not willing to work, he doesn't eat. And it says here, have nothing to do with such a guy. So see ya. Um, and the guy, you know, went off angrily, but he, he was a healthy guy, just not willing to work. And he was in this guise of being some kind of prophet or apostle. Um, I hope that, uh, that's kind of extreme. I hope that none of us actually fall into the category of just being unwilling to work, unwilling to do the work. Um, sometimes these criminal guys, you know, they do more work. If they put enough ingenuity into their crime, if they'd switch that over to a real job, they'd make a lot of money. Like, I'm kind of amazed at that. Associated Press, New York man, 36-year-old resident of New York, was quoted as saying, I like to live decent. I like to be clean. Nothing wrong with that. The only problem was that he didn't like to work. So he found other ways to satisfy his cultured tastes. Um, here's what he would do. He would uh, walk into a fine restaurant, order the top cuisine and the choice wines, and then, um, you know, when the check arrived, he'd just shrug his shoulders and wait for the police. 
then the, the, uh, the sometimes homeless man actually wanted to end up in the slammer. So he'd go, the way he'd go there is by just eating you know, a, a $1,000 meal at the fanciest restaurant in town. And then they'd take him. And they said, well, at least I get three meals a day. And it's a clean bed. And he pled guilty to stealing at this restaurant, um, one, one restaurant uh, meal, 31 times. <laughs> New York taxpayers have paid in this, this, because of this guy with his jail time and his, and his crime, New York taxpayers have paid more than a quarter of a million of do dollars over the last five years to feed, clothe, and house this guy. Man, if he just put that energy and effort into something real, he could probably make a quarter of a million dollars. It's, it's funny how this all works out. Um, so Paul basically heard in Thessalonica there were many people walking in idleness, not busy at work. Um, but they were only being busy bodies, the appearance of being busy. Um, and Paul commanded that these people earn their own living if they want to eat some food. Um, that's something that we have to watch out for. The idleness is, is, is something that is a problem, and the scriptures talk about that. Um, so, uh, so on this area of uh, what, what happens if we neglect our duty, number one, no work, no food. Number two, um, poverty comes to the sluggard. That's a, that's a word we don't use very much. Sluggard. Just bring it back. Sluggard is the guy that doesn't want to get out of bed and go to work. Um, here's some scriptures you can jot down. Proverbs 24, 30 through 34. Um, Solomon writes this, I passed by the field of a sluggard, by the vineyard of a man lacking sense, and behold, it was all overgrown with thorns. The ground was covered with nettles, and its stone uh, wall was broken down. Then I saw and considered it, and I looked and received instruction. A little sleep and a little more slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest, and poverty will come on you like a robber and want like an armed man. The Bible says that, you know, a little more sleep, if I could just sleep in and just play a few more video games and just hang out and not do the real work, then uh, the Bible says poverty will come upon you like a robber. Um, so a slumberer is, is the word there. This is, these are words we don't use very much. Sleeping when you should be getting up to go to work is the sluggard, the slumberer. Little folding of the hands, a little sleep. It's, it's more about just chilling out and resting and, uh, and all that. Uh, no wonder Solomon knew that poverty would come upon them when he sees this imagery. When, when Paul says if a man doesn't work, he doesn't eat. So uh, that's the second thing if you neglect your duty. The third thing is you'll end up in serious trouble with God. If you're a guy who's saying, I just don't want to provide, especially if you're a man who has a family, if you have a wife, if you have kids, and you're not willing to do the work, um, you guys all know this scripture. It's a scary scripture. 1 Timothy 5.8. 1 Timothy 5.8 says, But if any provide not for his own, and especially of those of his own house, he hath denied the faith and is worse than an infidel. Those are pretty strong words, wouldn't you agree? Like, does God care that you're providing? Uh, remember when my dad said on the thing, just putting food on the table, if not you, then who? Um, uh, the point is, some of you might say, well, that's kind of trite to say, if not you, then who? But that's what God's saying. If you have a family, you're the one who should be putting food on the table for that family. And if you fail to do that, you're worse than an infidel. That's like strong, strong language. Um, and I hope that, uh, that we can see the folly of that. Um, interesting Bloomberg article came out recently, a quarter of millennials who live at home don't work um, or, or study. So a quarter of the millennials, uh, half are white and most are men. 
the Census Bureau respond. By, uh, there was an article by Polly uh, uh, Mozens of the Bloomberg Press there. Um, a life of leisure free of bosses and bills sure sounds like a dream. As it turns out, millions of millennials are living it, but don't congratulate them yet. They're doing it under their parents' roof and not necessarily by choice. About a third of 18 to 34-year-olds in the United States live at home. Uh, the Census Bureau reported on Wednesday, among 25 to 34-year-olds living at home, one in four is neither enrolled in school nor working. Um, and that's an interesting stat in light of the fact that our unemployment is at its lowest uh, in years. And so I'm concerned, you know, and again, um, I don't knock the millennials. I think there's impressive millennials out there for sure. Um, and if the millennials are doing bad stuff, it's because the parents totally blew it. Um, and I think that's an important thing to realize. But it is a culture um, that I, I worry about. I worry about our millennials because we as parents have fed them, live your dreams. And you get the blue ribbon without doing anything and the trophy without earning it. Um, that's not real hard work. And uh, failure and not getting the blue ribbon um, is part of the thing too. Uh, and we've failed in that with our millennials largely. Um, so uh, something we can change and work on. But we could go on and on about the, the things about what the Bible says about what happens if you neglect your duty to, to work, if you're just sitting around. Um, man, God's got some strong words. You don't eat, uh, you'll be a sluggard and poverty will come to you and you'll be in serious trouble because you're worse than an infidel and, and we're not even supposed to have anything to do with you. Now, mom and dad, there's kind of an interesting challenge on that one. What if junior is unwilling to work and they're still living with you this is a hard one. This is a hard one. But I, I have to say, as hard as, hard as it is, I wonder if you realize that by you letting them live there and mooch off of you, that you're only feeding the fire. Um, but Brett, he might be homeless. Um, well, that's where you have to pray about it and say, Lord, when you say, if a, if a person's not willing to work, uh, then what do you do? Well, um, you don't try to help them. Uh, but have nothing to do with them. And, and why you treat them, not as an adversary, it says here, but as a brother. Like, come alongside and say, buddy, you got to go to a job. And because of that, we're, we're kind of done helping you on this. Good luck, and we'll be praying for you. Uh, but have nothing to do with them until they're willing to do the work. Tough, but I think sometimes that's the answer. Um, what are the rewards, number five, on our list? And we're almost done. What are the rewards for good hard work? Well, we already talked about that a little bit. Ultimately, God will reward us. If not in this life with a good paycheck and a happy family and all those things, um, if God doesn't do that, surely in the life to come, God's gonna um, bless you. And even if you hate your job, realize that um, God's got you there. We, we've talked about that. But let me just uh, zip off some of my favorite scriptures because there's kind of the good and the bad um, with these verses. Psalm 90, verse 17 says, and let the beauty of the Lord our God be upon us and establish thou the work of our hands upon us. Yea, the work of our hands, establish thou it. We sing that psalm a lot because I think it's important that the Lord takes the work of our hands and establishes that work. And let the beauty of God be upon that work that we do. Proverbs twelve eleven: He who works his land will have abundant food, but he who chases fantasies lacks good judgment. Um, does anybody know people who chase fantasies occupationally? It happens. Um, and it's a little hard because, you know, to be the, the guy that comes and says, you know what, you're, you're chasing a fantasy. Um, 
you know, get-rich-quick get schemes, the Bible actually teaches against that. Um, the Bible teaches about good, consistent, hard work, not get-rich-quick, and especially on the backs of others, at the expense of others. That's, that's something we have to watch out for, biblically speaking, as it goes to uh, work. Um, uh, but chasing fantasies, that's Proverbs 12, 11. Proverbs 12, 24, New International Version. Diligent hands will rule, but laziness ends up in slave labor. Um, laziness, uh, that's, that's what happens when you are lazy in work. Um, you know, diligent work will help you move into a role of leadership is what that scripture is basically saying. Diligent hands will rule. That's what my dad was saying on the job in the old days. When and, and you say, well, that's the old days. Well, maybe we need to get back to the good old days where um, good hard work is rewarded with more responsibility. But the lazier you are, the, the more you'll end up being ruled by others. That's just what the Bible says. That's what happens. Um, so like it or leave it, it's still the truth, according to the scriptures. Diligent hands will rule, but laziness ends in slave labor. Proverbs 14, 23, all hard work brings a profit, but mere talk leads only to poverty. All hard work brings a profit. You know, this is something that I have to say uh, you might question. Really? What if you're just, you know, don't have a job and, and you have nothing to work for? I still think all hard work brings a profit. Um, it's what the Bible says, which... Uh, which speaks of a few things to kind of close and a few thoughts to kind of wrap up. I've been kind of rambling here, but um, I've got a few things I want you to kind of think about. And, um, and that is, if you're unemployed, I'm going to give you a few things to, to think about, about how to become employed, and it has to do with that hard work brings a, a profit. Um, but a few final thoughts. Um, if you're an employer, make sure and be careful not to rob your workers. Um, I'm, I'm a little worried about Christian men not paying people what they're worth. The workman is worthy of his hire, the Bible talks about. Don't muzzle the ox that treads out the corn. Um, that's, uh, that's the context there is ministry in church and those that are doing work in ministry. But I think it's kind of true across the boards. Deuteronomy 24, 14, the law of the Jews. You shall not oppress a hired worker who is poor and needy, whether he is one of your brothers or one of the sojourners who are in your land within your towns. Stranger or Jew... Don't take advantage of the worker and oppress that person. And that was a rule of God for his people. So if you're an employer, a boss, supervisor, God warns us not to oppress those who work for us. So um, just a, a sideline note about work. Make sure that if you're an employer, how many guys are an employer? Raise your hand. See, that's a pretty good list of people. You, you have guys working for you. Um, that's an important thing to, to actually be, be fair with those workers. Uh, the workman is worthy of his hire. Very important. Um, and God tells us in the book of James, you know, the wages of the, of the laborers who mowed the fields, which are kept back by fraud, are, uh, they're, they're crying out against you, and the cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord. What is, what is that? If you didn't pay the guys that helped you harvest what they're worth, that, that cry reaches the Lord. He sees that. Hmm. Um, by the way, this is another freebie, but if you're an employer... And you do what that which is right and, and serve with integrity and serve the Lord. Um, man, I've seen God just bless business. The business is blessed when the man is doing things rightly and paying people what they're worth and not ripping off people. and not doing. If you wonder why your business isn't working very well, you might want to take a look at 
the integrity and the biblical part of what you're doing? Are you really being fair and honest? Is it aligned with, you know, what the scriptures say in James 5, 4, Deuteronomy 24, 14? Um, ultimately, you have God to answer for that. But I think, but God will bless or not bless your business accordingly. Um, something to think about. So that's, that's one, one of the other final thoughts about employers. Another one is um, no quick way to money. What is the scripture that talks about that? Proverbs 12, 11. Whosoever works his land will have plenty of bread, but he who follows worthless pursuits lacks sense. There's no shortcut. That's something we've already talked about. All hard work brings a profit, but mere talk leads only to poverty. These are scriptures that we, uh, we talked about. So what do you do if you're out of a job? Um, this might be for you, it might be for your son, might be for your grandson or your brother in Christ. Uh, but some things that I wanted to uh, just, there's some kind of obvious stuff, but I'm, I'm shocked at guys that don't have jobs who aren't really doing some of these simple things. And there's, it could be a really long list. I'm going to give you some of my top ones. Pray. If you don't have a job, pray for a job. Bible says you have not because you ask not. I'd recommend praying, but not just by yourself. Find some brothers in the church to pray with you. There's something about a team of brothers praying for another brother who needs a job. And, and the Lord, how the Lord uses that, um, whether supernatural or supernaturally natural. Um, I'm always amazed that a brother has other brothers around them, how they tend to find jobs. Um, and whether it's technically by networking or just by God working it all out. There's something about a guy being accountable to other brothers uh, when you're in a jobless situation. A lot of guys without work tend to be lone rangers and they're just by themselves and they're doing it by themselves. There's something about the guy that has brothers who are praying with them. And if you need that, if you're a guy that's jobless, make sure you have brothers around you praying with you. Um, it gets back to the things we talked about in our accountability session about having a small group of brothers in a part of your life. Don't just make your wife bear that burden of the, the fact that you're a job, jobless guy right now. Uh, let those other brothers help bear that burden with you, pray with you. And who knows what the Lord might do through that. Um, here's another thing if you're jobless, uh, just something, something I think um, I watched in my, my dad. See, in construction, back in the 70s, particularly in, in 80s when, when I was a younger kid, um, big jobs would come and then, then my dad would finish those jobs. And then you'd wonder, well, what's next? And there were times during you know, the depressions and the recessions and stuff where a lot of jobs weren't happening. My dad would just go out and hustle jobs and look for work. And, but um, he was never just sitting around, kind of, well, I hope another job comes someday. Um, one of the things, if you're a jobless guy, keep a schedule. Uh, try not to get too comfortable. You know, as welcoming as it sounds to permanently move into sweatpants and just kind of hang out and play video games, don't do that. Uh, um, instead, keep a schedule. Uh, well, what am I supposed to do? Get up early. Um, go out and do uh, any number of things. Uh, I'll give you some examples of stuff you can do here in a second, but watch out for that jobless, just sitting around doing nothing thing. Keep a schedule, keep a calendar, um, come up with meetings. Well, who do I meet with? Well, the first thing you can meet with those guys I just told you about from the church. Or early morning, Friday morning at 6 a.m. before they go off to work. 6 a.m., that's really early. Exactly. Getting up early, man. The Bible says a lot about getting up early and the man that gets up early will be blessed. Um, don't be the guy that sleeps in just because you don't have a job. You should be doing the opposite and uh, hook up with other brothers, go in and interviewing at other jobs. Uh, you'll, you'll get more stuff done when you get up early. Um, and I also believe that'll keep you from being depressed, sitting around the house just doing nothing. Um, watch out for that. Uh, here's one that's gonna sound really funny coming from me. 
Um, believe it or not, I actually enjoy exercise. Uh, and any of you that really know me, I do love lifting weights, working out, and all that stuff. But I have to say, being a pastor has been the worst thing for my health condition. I, uh, I'm actually a pretty healthy guy, my doctor tells me. Uh, but as it turns out, I'm just a little overweight. Uh, it's always a shock when they tell me that. Uh, but, but at the same time, exercise. Here's the thing that concerns me. If I ever lose my job being a pastor... I'll tell you the first thing I'm going to do. If I'm jobless, I'm going to go to the gym. And I'll tell you why. Because, um, you know, being a pastor now for a lot of years, I can do my job and, and stuff, and, and uh, I'm kind of conditioned to do what I do. <laughs> Sit around and eat and talk with people and talk. There's not a lot of calories burned with yakking. But as soon as I lose this job, I'm going to the gym, and I'll tell you why. Because whatever job is in the future, I want to be able to keep up. That's one of the things I've noticed is guys get jobless, and they get out of shape, and then they can't keep up on the work, on the work side. And I understand some of you are like, Yo, Brett, you're the last guy that should be telling us this. I'm just telling you the truth. I've seen it with guys, and I feel bad for them. They sit around. Have you guys seen that, where guys get out of shape, and, and they're just kind of not really able to? So you put them on a construction job, and after the first hour, they're dragging. Um, so I think that would be the first thing I'd do. If I were jobless, I'd be out, you know, kind of trying to either maintain certain physical shape or, or get back into it, uh, just something to think about. This is stuff I've seen and talked to other guys about. Um, another th- thing you can do is volunteer. Um, I don't know how many times a guy I've seen who's just willing to go, well, Brett, I'm not making any money. But it's amazing when a guy goes and volunteers somewhere. And again, there's different stories. Guys have health issues, backs are out. I understand there's different things here, and it's totally different. Don't Don't think I'm preaching at any single person in the room here. But um, if you're a person who's able to go out and volunteer, it's an excellent way to use time where you're unemployed. You know, you can, you can uh, get a certain joy out of it. You might even find some kind of a job opportunity as you're doing something. It's like the Lord wants you to be faithful in the small and he will bless you in the big. Um, I know guys that went on construction job sites and said, um, can I have a job? And they said, no. Well, can I, can I just help clean up? I know guys that, well, we, we don't have a job for you. But yeah, I'll do it for free. I know guys who have done this. And I know guys that started sweeping job sites, picking up wood chunks, piling up, cleaning up, and eventually they hired him on as a laborer. And I, I know guys that started that way and ended up becoming lead, you know, foreman and, and uh, even project managers uh, on construction sites and stuff just by volunteering time to clean up. Like, who does that? But I believe that the Lord will bless you just being faithful with what you have. Another thing, increase your skills. If you're jobless, look for ways to grow your skills. And, and there's a lot of ways to do that. Um, there's ways that I, weren't around even 10 years ago that are kind of interesting. Um, uh, did you know that you can do anything with YouTube? Man, if you're, if you're, tra- if you're changing out the exhaust manifold on your F-150, uh, your 2010, there's a YouTube video. <clears throat> And they'll tell you, some old guy who's done it wrong a few times, they'll say, now, here's how you do it. And, you, and it's amazing. Uh, I, I bought this old John Deere lawn tractor, uh, and it's a great old little tractor, and it really mows good. But, man, the whole thing kind of blew up the other, the other day, and I went on YouTube, man. And sure enough, there's this old uh, hick from, like, Alabama who does this great YouTube video on how to fix your John Deere 335. You know, it's like, it's, like it's, it's great. Um, man, I, I wonder if it, instead of just sitting around, at least you can start learning some skills and how to do some stuff. Uh, take a course. Uh, grow in your certifications or 
or whatever it is. There's a lot of things you can do outside of a job to sort of prepare yourself. And I could go on and on, but I'm out of time. Um, but all that to say, I, I really do um, hope that not only that we all have good jobs, I really do pray that Athey Creekers guys have good jobs, but I also hope that in those jobs, we represent the Lord well. And I hope that on the judgment seat of Christ, when you stand before Christ someday, that the Lord will say, wow, well done, good and faithful servant. A lot of those things we equate with just ministry, actually in the Bible are talking about the work that you do occupationally, vocationally. Um, and then, man, what a great witness the church of Jesus Christ could be if we're all really hardworking men representing the Lord. Where our families will be blessed. The church will be blessed. People might even be drawn to the Lord. Um, the, the one thing that, you know, with my dad, I remember he worked hard, but he'd always end up bringing some dude home from a construction job and he'd be sitting at the table with us at dinner. And the whole time we're eating our mashed potatoes and stuff, my dad and my mom would be sharing with this guy, Jesus Christ. And the guys would be weeping and they accept Christ and come to the church and then eventually get really involved, eventually become elders. And now they're elders of churches or pastoring other churches. Like I've got a long history of watching just my dad, hard work, but the fruit, it wasn't just the bridges that you saw in the pictures and the dams and all that stuff. I mean, there's tons of those buildings and stuff. And, and when I drive by some, I'm like, man, my dad, he was like the superintendent. Like I get a joy out of that. But there's so much more realizing that, man, my, the Lord used my dad kind of in a way over the years in his occupation far greater than, than those structures. Um, and I think that when, when certain guys get to heaven, um, you know, Billy Graham will be there and Charles Haddon Spurgeon and all these great guys who did great things for God. But right there with them is going to be some guy that worked at Intel uh, in a very hostile environment for Christians. But man, he did his job really well. And people um, were able to see what a, a real Christian looks like. I wonder if that could be some of us. Well, Lord, I pray, Father, that you'd give us wisdom to be workers, men that work to serve you. Lord, you are our boss Help us to serve heartily as unto you and not unto men. Um, give my brother strength. We do pray for the guys who are in, in between jobs right now or maybe looking for work. Um, we know it's a hard place to be. But I pray that you'd give them strength, that they'd not be discouraged. Um, I pray that um, whatever needs to be hustled and, and gone and, and hard work hitting the ground, just uh, working to find that job, give them the strength. Um, help us as brothers to stand with one another, Lord, and, and, um, and represent you well in the places that we work. So be glorified. Bless these guys as we go our way today. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Let's stand together.